Well, good morning. Very glad that you're here this morning. You know, that song really struck me and I think applies very much to today. Your goodness is running after me. Do you realize that the Bible is really just a story of God running after people? Do you realize you might be here right now because God is running after you? He's been chasing you down and he grabbed you maybe by the throat and drug you in here because he has something to do with you today. He has something to say, something to, to, to change. Uh, maybe you are a Jesus follower, but he's chasing after you saying, get real. You know, get over yourself. Get over the, it's time to get real. Maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and he's been chasing you and he brought you here today to bring you to that point to go, am I a genuine follower of Jesus or not? Is it time to say yes to him? And I want to ask you that question as we start. Are you a genuine follower of Jesus? Are you? The Bible's scary a little bit as you read some of these New Testament passages where it talks about people standing before God at the end and saying, Lord, I did all this in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Meaning there are those in the church that don't actually belong to Jesus. There are those here that even think they're saved but aren't. You know, it's, it's scary as you look through Scripture and you see what God does. You see his, uh, his emphasis on a fear for him. Remember the story of the Israelites when Moses led them out of Egypt. You know, totally cool story. Uh, the Red Sea parts. They walk across on dry land. The Egyptian army follows. Uh, the sea comes in, crashes on them. Uh, and then Moses goes up onto a mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And while he's gone, the people go, you know what, we should make ourselves an idol. Yeah, let's make a golden calf and worship that and say that that brought us out of, of Egypt. And they do this. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and you probably remember this story from Sunday school, like the flannel craft, right? Uh, and he comes down, and here's the gold, you know, all of this. But you know what they skipped in Sunday school was what happens next. And I remember reading this for the first time in my adult life at some point, reading that and going, that's what happened next? What happened next was Moses comes down, deals with it, like grinds up the, the golden calf and sprinkles the dust of the gold in the water and says, drink it. And then he says, who's for, who's for God? Come over here to me. And a whole bunch of Levites, these were the, the priestly class, a whole bunch of them came over to his side. And he says, put on your sword and go deal with this. 3,000 people were killed that day. The Levites had to take a sword and walk through and start killing these people worshiping idols. That's one of those things we don't learn about in Sunday school. And the Bible is full of some of these stories that make you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. And today is one of those. And here's why we go through uh, books of the Bible and we go chapter by chapter. Because sometimes we encounter something I wouldn't choose to preach on. And God says, no, you're going to preach on it because I want my people to hear this. That's today. So lock the doors. Nobody can leave. <laughs> Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that your word and your spirit brings us to a point of making decisions. That God, you, you've laid things out so clearly and your word is relevant today as it was when it was written. And it's as trustworthy today as when it was written. You, you've given us all these proofs to why we can trust your word and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I ask, don't let us get out of here today without you doing what you want to do. And I'm saying that about myself as well. Your goodness is running after us, and we see in Scripture, we see the moral commands and sin and all this, and it's not because you're a, a judgmental God or you want control, it's because you want what's best for us. And God, what's best for us is to follow you. If you say something is bad, 
It, it means that's not best for us. And so, God, I just ask that we would surrender to you, that you would fill our hearts with humility. If any of us here are hard-hearted and proud, that you would get in their Holy Spirit and just soften those hearts, that we would hear what you have done, that how you view sin, and we would remember, Jesus, you took it all for us on the cross. And we owe you our lives with, with joy and thankfulness that we don't have to earn our salvation, but you have given it to us freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4, uh, we've been going, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Acts, and we've seen some really cool stuff. You know, God is saving people in Jerusalem by the thousands. At this point, probably roughly 25% of those in Jerusalem are now following Jesus. You know, the first church was a Jewish movement, and so there was some blending there between Judaism and Christianity, obviously. They were still going to the temple uh, to worship, to pray. And so there's, there's this movement happening, and the leaders in the temple, the leaders in the, the Jewish movement there are kind of coming against them, but it hasn't hit the, the burning point yet. That's coming next week. But now things are still going. I mean, this is a, this is a revival. And you want to be part of a revival. This is kind of a cool thing. So it's starting to, to be, people are drawn to it, others are not, but we're going to see here kind of a test of genuine Jesus followers or not. Look at Acts 4. Starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said of any of his things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet." So here we see kind of this, this first picture. Things are going good. That's basically what he's saying. Things are going good with the church. Yeah, they're full of grace. God is providing for them. There's not a needy person among them. And we get this example of Joseph. But here's a, a note I want you to take here. As the church's grip on God and one another tightened, their grip on their stuff loosened. As their grip on Jesus and one another tightened, their grip on their stuff loosened. And we've seen this already in Acts, and we ask the question, if we're going to be faithful Jesus followers, does this mean that we need to go sell our stuff and give to God? And the answer is, maybe. <laughs> Again, a lot of what we see in these narratives, and Acts is a narrative, is descriptive, not prescriptive. So some of us, yes, we might need to go do this. Maybe God will, will give you an opportunity to give to somebody and bless somebody, and he points out to you, you have this thing you can get rid of or this thing you can share or give. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. This is not prescriptive as if we all should go sell everything and then move in here. That would get a little bit weird. We don't even have showers here. But they had all things in common, and, and here's the point of that. As, we, as I ask the question, are you a genuine Jesus follower? Here's a test. And here is the best test I have ever seen. What are you doing with your wallet? This is the best test of your heart. Because money, I mean, we know it, right? Where your money goes, Jesus said it, there your heart goes. Where is your money? 
Are you a generous and sacrificial giver? If not, you need to check your heart. Now, again, it's not about deeds. It's not about works. But this is the greatest test I've ever seen. And mine is empty. No, it's not empty. Wow, this is good. Um, <laughs> but but it's, it really is the first test. You know, if, if I'm talking to somebody and they're struggling with their faith, you know, they're struggling in life, one of the first questions I'll ask privately is, how's your giving? And often the answer is, I can't afford to give, or I'm not at all. And it's like, okay, you're, you're missing something in there. Right here, these first Jesus followers were generous and sacrificial givers. And we're going to talk about that a little more. It's not because the church needs money. You know, it's not because God needs anything, because he owns everything already. So that's not it. But then we see this example of Joseph. You know, I like this early church. They gave nicknames. Joseph is called Barnabas, which is encourager. And we'll see Barnabas again later. I really like Barnabas. And this gave me a chance to look at him a little bit. Barnabas is not the upfront guy. Uh, Barnabas is not the, the speaker, the teacher, the head leader. Barnabas is the guy that comes along. He's like, hey, I think God wants to use you. Let, let me help you. You know, when Paul, who was Saul, is first converted, and he had been, you know, arresting Christians, he's Jesus meets him on the road, converts him, it's Barnabas that comes along and grabs him and brings him to the church and goes, guys, it's okay, he's really saved. Because everybody else is like, no, that's Saul. We know that guy. We're staying away. Barnabas puts his neck on the line and goes and grabs him. It's later where Barnabas comes alongside Paul and says, Paul, you can teach in a way I can't and others can't. You should do that. Let's go. And, you know, and he brings him and he goes with him. And you'll see that other places with Mark. But Barnabas is a, a pretty quality dude. And he, right here, sells a field and gives the money. Now, again, we want to be careful not to know, you know, our right hand from our left hand. Scripture talks about that. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Meaning when you give, you're not giving so everybody can know it. And I think that's why as they're giving here, you see they're, they're putting it at the apostles' feet and letting them distribute it. So really, people don't know how much is being given. And I think that's important. But, you know, here, Joseph, Barnabas, sells a field. A lot of times, people know. It's a small town. People know when you sold a field. So he sells it, and he gives all of it. And that sets up the scene for what's coming in chapter 5. But here, this is in your notes, spirit-filled Jesus followers are generous givers without a need for recognition. This really kind of sets the theme for the rest of this. Spirit-filled Jesus followers are generous givers without a need for recognition. And here comes Ananias and Sapphira. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So here, you have Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They saw Joseph, sold a piece of land, brought it all. People like Joseph, you know, they've even given him a nickname. Uh, I want a nickname. So, you know, they, they go and they sell their piece of land and bring some of it. Not all of it. But what's the sin here? Is the sin that he kept back some of it? 
It's not. And Peter points that out. He's like, the land was yours. When you sold it, all the money was yours. You can do whatever you want with it. Giving is not compulsory. You know, the New Testament, giving is always voluntary. You know, God loves a joyful giver. He doesn't set, you know, a, a tithe, Old Testament, 10%. You don't see that in the New Testament because it's voluntary. It's, it's up to you, between you and God. How do you want to give? And so it's up to them. But he comes and, and does this. I too am giving everything. I'm just like Joseph. I sold this land and here all of it is. He's lying because he wants to be seen in a certain way. He wants an, an image to be portrayed. Again, he wants to look like, like Barnabas. The great sin of Ananias was dishonesty. It was dishonesty. It wasn't the amount he gave. It was dishonesty. The issue here is pride, isn't it? He wanted to be viewed a certain way, and he'll lie so people will look at him a certain way. Is that a problem today? I think social media has taken this, this issue in our heart and added some, some soil, some fertilizer, some water to it, really. Because all over online, you know, we can portray whatever image we want. And how many of us go on there and go, I'm just kind of a pile of junk and I've got all this stuff. No, you know, like we dust off the family and point, look at how great we are. You know, we put this image out there. Are we faking our spirituality? So here's, here's the best uh, illustration I came up with. We have a picture here. Look at that. If you, if you haven't figured it out, that's me right there in the middle. Uh, I'm 10 or 11. Yep, that's a flat top and a mullet. Um, that was cool. Now, if you look at this picture, you're like, look at that sweet family. Oh, my goodness, he loves his sisters. You know, how great is this? I remember this day. I, 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 seriously, I was a little bit traumatized by this because, you know, you go to Olin Mills or whatever and the person's like, hey, do this and do that. And mom and dad are there like this, you know, and it's like, okay, Derek, you sit down. Okay, great. Now the other one come and put your head right here. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I remember this day. I don't remember all the details, but I remember being a jerk. It, it, my sisters were really sweet. I do remember that part. And I remember being a jerk. I remember probably pretending like I was dry heaving, you know, gross, get away from me. Um, and they're all sweet and nice. This is a fake picture. <laughs> yeah, you know, have you ever seen those remakes that they do, you know, 30 years later? We should do that with this. That'd be great. Um, my family's awesome. And, and we get along very, very well. But that day, this just isn't true. And so I think this is a good picture. We can fake our spirituality. We can walk here on Sunday for an hour and look like that. When really, we know we're faking it. You know, our heart is chasing after sin. We can take that off. <laughs> but but are we, are we, we can do that, right? You know, and I'm not saying we should wear our lives on our sleeve. We walk in here, how are you? Well, I did this, this, and this this week. And, you know, not that so much. But you know, are we faking? Are we putting off an image? Are we lying about where we are? This is why we do have groups. Because we want to be in relationships where we can be known where we can share some of these things, and even maybe not your whole group should know these things, but there might be people in your group. or You need to pull them aside, hey, I need to share some things with you. I need to be authentic and walk through some things together. We can pretend all we want, but God knows the truth. And his opinion is the only one that matters. You know, I think that's helpful here. He says, what are you trying to do lying to the Holy Spirit? As if you can even do that. You know, God sees your heart. 
Again, his opinion is the only one that matters. And so you can come in here or, or you can go online or whatever and put off this image. God knows. And again, his opinion is the only one that matters. Do you care that much what people in this room think of you for the next 20, 30 years? You're going to be with God for eternity. There's no comparison there. And so I think that's partly what he's saying. Why are you trying to lie to God? You can't lie to God. It's impossible. He knows. So let's just be honest. You know, in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, and this is, uh, I'm cutting some out. This is a paraphrase, but it says, the psalmist writes, for you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Here's why I go to that. Because a lot of times we can get sucked into religion. Meaning, you know, whether it's giving, uh, going to church, going to group, whatever it is, we can do religion. And the Jews were doing that too. The Israelites were doing that. And so the psalmist here writes, God, you don't delight in these sacrifices, you know, bringing all this good stuff and giving it away. What you want is a broken heart. What you want is the spirit. God cares about your hearts, which then lead to generosity. You see that all throughout scripture. It then leads us to there. But a lot of times we want to skip that heart part and put this image, or we want to do the things. Honestly, that's a lot easier, isn't it? That's why the church has struggled with this for 2,000 years. Let's just set these rules, and if you follow these rules, you and God are good. God cares about the heart. You know, God is desperate for our heart. He loves us. Again, that song, his goodness is running after you. He wants you. He doesn't need your stuff. He's God. The church doesn't need your stuff. Again, he is God. You know, we like to say this around here, God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Again, he doesn't need your stuff. He wants a joyful giver because he cares about the heart. And so giving is, a, is, I would say, a test. It's an evidence of where your heart is at. Not if you're a genuine believer or not. And here's, here's where I struggled with this. You know, I wrote this lesson and, and I studied the passage and then God is kind of like, you know what? Nowhere in there do we see whether they're even saved or not. We don't know. Ananias and Sapphira could have been genuine Jesus. They could have been actually saved and had the Holy Spirit and been walking in disobedience, and God wanted to make an example of them. We don't really know. But we do know they're being hypocrites. We do know they're faking it, and God wanted to, to do something with that. He wanted to paint a picture for the rest of the church. You know, and again, this is one of those. We ask the question, why? Because look at the, the next verse, verse 5. When Ananias heard these words... He fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, for that much. And Peter said to it, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What in the world? I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we read scripture and we have to put it down and go, what, what's going on? Well, this is one of those stories, and it's very similar to another story in the Old Testament. I already told you about Moses there, but there was a, 
after Moses died, Moses sinned, he disobeyed God, uh, he was removed from leadership, and he had somebody else come after him. And so this new leader took over, Joshua took over, and was leading the Israelites into the promised land. So there's kind of a transition going on, and they go in, do you remember the first city they took when they went into the promised land? Come on, you got to know the song. Josh fought the battle of Jericho. Jer anyway, um, Jericho, they attacked Jericho by marching around. I mean, God in his sovereignty broke down the walls and gave them the victory. But God, through Joshua, gave them a command before they went in. Everything in that city is dedicated to the Lord. Everything. Do not take any plunder. They go in. They win the battle. Uh, they move on after that. You know, with spirits high, they go into the next battle, and they get whooped. 36 men die. They retreat, and they're like, what is going on? And God tells Joshua, there's a problem. There's sin in your camp. Somebody disobeyed the command at Jericho. And then as they cast lots, it lands on this man named Achan, who had taken some of the plunder. He put it in his tent. Looks like he kind of buried it in there. The lot falls on him. Finally, he admits it. He goes. He pulls it out. They have to kill him. Same kind of picture here. What is God trying to say to his people? I think he's trying to say, the purity of my people is important. We see these three times uh, around the calf, here with Achan, and then here at the beginning of the church, all three times, there's some kind of transition happening. There's a new movement among God's people each of these times where God wants to make the point, sin in your midst matters. I think that, that's what he's trying to say. The purity of my people matter, and you'll read it throughout the whole New Testament. Paul will write to churches, like, there is somebody openly sinning in your church, and you're all ignoring it like it's no big deal. Deal with this. The purity of God's church matters. And here's the, 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 the question I have for you, and that's in your notes. Do you have sin that you need to confess? Do you, need, do you have sin that you need to confess? Because here, again, Achan had this hidden sin, put it in there, cost him his life. Ananias and Sapphira, they, you know, they're hiding their sin. Again, we don't know if they're believers or not, but God is saying, I want authenticity. Go back to the Psalms. I want genuine worship. If you have hidden sin in your life, you have these things, it is keeping you from genuinely experiencing God. Again, any commands we have in Scripture, it's because that's what God's best is for you. He wants what's best for you. But here's the thing about how God does things. You, if you're claiming Christ, you're also representing him to the church and to the rest of the world. That matters. That matters. And do you think God will sacrifice one for the benefit of the many? Ever heard of this guy named Jesus? You know, God was willing to send his son, perfect, to die on the cross for our sins. Innocent. He sacrificed his life. What was the worst thing in the world, I mean, the worst tragedy we have ever seen in this world is God in flesh died. Why? Because that was best for the, the whole. And so do we think that won't even happen to us? It, it might. Now, again, we don't see people dropping dead all the time for this stuff. Maybe we don't always know what's going on. But here's what we do know. Sin matters. The purity of the church matters. God cares. And, and here's a point that stuck out to me as I read this, and I don't want to go too long. But look at how Peter deals with this. How does Peter know about the sin? We don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit told him. Maybe another birdie told him. I, who knows? But he knows, and he confronts it. He sees the sin, he confronts it, and, and the Holy Spirit does his thing. Why in the church today do we feel the need to sweep sin under the rug? 
you know, this is one of those things I have to, you know, limit myself because this, this makes me angry. When I see the church burying sin, you know, sexual sin in the church done among leaders, and they take it and go, oh, this is going to hurt our reputation. Oh, this is going to hurt our attendance. This is going to hurt our giving. And so they, they cover it up. We are not to do that. You know, in Timothy, we are told, Paul instructs Timothy, if there are leaders in your church that sin, you know, if they got serious sin, you deal with it publicly. And that's what we will do here. If we have sin like that, we will deal with it publicly among the leaders, not, not everybody. Don't worry, like, if we discover your sin, we're going to pull you up here in the middle of the certain. No. <laughs> but sin is a big deal. And I think one of the reasons the church uh, for decades has lost its its maybe we could say power in our country, is a lot of this. We read about it all the time. High-profile leaders being brought down through pride, through money. Do we not trust God? Or let's say it the way Peter says it, do we not fear God? That's where he goes to the root. What's the sin? The sin is lying. What's the root? The fear of the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira have no fear of the Lord. Achan had no fear of the Lord. Those Israelites who set up a calf, they had no fear of the Lord. And this gives me chills. Do we fear God? He created everything with the word. He cleansed it all once with a flood. He dealt with, with all these people. Do we not fear God? Do we not fear even eternal judgment? Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now what is biblical fear? This isn't in your notes, but you might want to write it down. Biblical fear would be awe mixed with intimacy. Awe mixed with intimacy. I've never been in a hurricane or a tornado, but I like the videos of them. Um, but imagine being in, in, maybe you've been in one of those, a great storm, a great hurricane. You know, the wind is blowing, cows are flying by, whatever. But there's the power of the storm. You're out in the storm, you should be scared. Right? You know, you should be afraid of what's happening. I heard of a guy who, who was boasting about how strong he was at 55, and a great hurricane came, and so he tied himself, like, to a tree, saying, I can stand. It's like, it's not about the wind. It's about what the wind is blowing. I don't know what happened to that guy. But he had no fear of the storm, you know? Uh, but if you're in a hurricane, you're wise. You're scared. But say God takes you and puts you in, like, a little cleft of the rock, and you can watch it, but you're safe. Now you can admire the storm. You see the power. There's some awe there. You're not scared of, of it destroying you. Us with God, if we are in Christ, you are saved, you are sealed, you are secure in your salvation. You do not need to fear eternal judgment. But there's still an awe there mixed with intimacy. And I would say if you are walking in sin and, and you have no conviction about it, you do need to fear the judgment. You do, because part of being in Christ and having the Spirit is He will show you when things are off. He will show you when you're wrong. And so, are you a Christian struggling with sin? Welcome to the fight. <laughs> Join the club. Are you claiming to be a Christian and sinning a lot, but you're not struggling with it? Now, you need to have some introspection. Where is my heart really? Do I really love the Lord? Have I really trusted Jesus as my Savior? Faking our own spiritual maturity is evidence that we do not fear God. Faking our own spiritual maturity is evidence we don't really fear God. We don't need to fake it. We don't need to fake it. Now, here's the second point I think that comes out. We have a responsibility to lovingly confront sin in the church. 
Now, we're going to talk about this some in groups this week. Uh, if you're not in a group, grab your card, fill it out. Go join one this week. But we have a responsibility to lovingly confront sin in the church. 1 Timothy 5.20 says deal with the leader's sin publicly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 1-13, Matthew 18, and others give us instructions of how to deal with sin in our midst. If you see a brother or sister, somebody who's claiming Christ sinning, you actually have a responsibility. I, I think you need to have enough of a relationship to do this, but you have a responsibility to go to them. Scripture says one-on-one -on -one first. You know, it's not a judgmental, I'm better than you, I'm going to oust you. In fact, Scripture says before you do that, you need to look in the mirror you know, before you can take a speck out of your brother's eye, you need to make sure you don't have a log in your own. And I think this has happened a lot in the church as well. But Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says it well. Brothers, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? love. The loving thing is if I see sin in your life, to come, pull you aside, say, hey, I see this in you. God loves you. This is not best for you. I love you. Can we deal with this? That's what we're called to do. That's hard. <laughs> that's, that's why you do it gently, humbly, lovingly, for the purpose of, of restoration, for the purpose of getting through it. But here's what our church has done in this country for decades, is just sweep these things under the rug, ignore it, or worse, Let's just change scripture so sin isn't sin anymore. And then we really don't have to deal with it and we can just clap that we're great, whatever. No, God wants us to be pure, growing, not perfect. You know, again, uh, when we become Christians, we don't become sinless. But as time goes on, ideally we sin less. It's called sanctification. The work that the Holy Spirit does in us, molding us into Jesus' image. But sin is a big deal. Two applications. Are you faking it? Are you faking it? Are you pretending? Look at your own heart. Do you fear God? I have encountered this so many times in my life of people who, who say they're Christians and then just chase after sin and say, yeah, God's forgiving. He'll forgive me. I'm like, ooh, th there's, that's not a loving relationship. There's no fear there of just saying, yeah, he, you know, I believe God is good and he'll forgive me. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to chase after this. Maybe later I'll come back and be obedient. It's like, ooh. That's not how we're to be as Christians. So are you faking it? This is what I've been praying for today, that the Holy Spirit, if this is you, he would reveal it to you and humble your heart to come pray with me at the end <laughs> or to grab somebody else. But to deal with this, go, I'm not sure where I'm at. And we can talk about that and pray about it. Or then the second one, do you know a fellow believer that you need to come alongside? Not, not somebody you need to out, but somebody you need to come alongside and help. It says, bear one another's burdens. That's what's awesome about being part of the church. We have people that will help us bear our sin burdens. That's what it's talking about. If I'm struggling in sin, I can come to some of you and say, I'm struggling with this, and you can help me. Maybe it's accountability. Whatever it is, putting those things in place. You know, pornography is a big thing in our world right now. It's a big thing in the church. And there are these things, and I've been, I've been on the other end of this with people where they say, hey, I'm going to give you access to my information. And you're going to get a report of everything I'm looking at on my computer. And then it's my job to help bear their burden to read the report. <laughs> you know, oh, hey, I see you visited such and such a website. What was that? Oh, okay, just shopping. Okay. You know, but, but we, can, we can walk through this together because the purity of the church matters. 
and the purity of your own heart matters. God is running after you because he loves you. He loves you. Now we're going to move to uh, worship some more. We're going to move to communion. Uh, And this time of communion is our time to remember Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. It is our time basically to place ourselves again in in Jesus' hands. Again, we're not saved by works. We need to be careful about that on today's message. We are not saved by works. We are saved by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And as we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering what he has done for us. We are remembering, again, his finished work. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This new covenant, by the way, is the relationship we have with God through Jesus. Not by law, not by rules. That's the new covenant. You don't earn it. It's a free gift. Awesome. And we can rest in that. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But now listen, communion, this is for believers. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, stay seated, pray, whatever. Don't come take it. Or come see me. I'd love to pray with you. And then you can take it for the first time as a believer. But for us who are believers who are going to take this, this next couple verses is for us. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Meaning, is there sin in your life you need to deal with? If there is, deal with it and then come take it. And it looks like Paul is saying that the things that happen to Ananias and Sapphira, sometimes that is still happening when people are just living in blatant sin and then taking the Lord's Supper as if everything's fine. They're pretending. And look at verse, uh, this is 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. It says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Meaning God was still caring about the purity of his people. And so for you, take this seriously. We are remembering what Jesus did on the cross. It's a big deal. It's awesome. It's great. And so if we fear God, take a minute, examine your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to you and be willing to deal with whatever sin that is. Maybe you need to come pray with me about this or something else. Maybe you need to grab your your group leader or somebody from your group and pray with them. But then when you're ready, come take the Lord's Supper, celebrating the finished work of Jesus on the cross and that you have eternal salvation in him. And not just that, that eternal life starts now. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your finished work on the cross. God, thank you that we never move past the cross. The cross is never just a Sunday school lesson. The cross is the center of our faith. It is the center of history. And our faith is in you, Jesus. We believe you died on the cross. We believe you rose from the dead, and we thank you. And we also believe that you care about our purity. We also know you care about sin in our lives, for one, because you love us so much, and you want what's best for us. And God, as I love the people in this room, I ask, Holy Spirit, if there's sin they need to deal with, that they would. 
God, soften our hearts because we want to experience this abundant life you have for us. And the way to do that is to move through our sin, past our sin, to bear one another's burdens. Help us to do that today. God, we remember what you did. We will never forget and we love you. That is why we will take the Lord's Supper now. In Jesus' name, amen.